0: I bring you greetings from Second Presbyterian Church here in Roanoke, and greetings, as Amy shared with you, from Cotton Mill Loft Apartments, where I live. My apartment actually overlooks your church parking lot, so I've been keeping an eye on you all, even though you didn't know it. But even though we have not met yet, I feel like I know you well. It is an honor to fill this pulpit today, and I have great respect for your minister, Donna. She's reached out to me during this first year here in Roanoke, and I'm delighted to call her a friend, and I'm grateful for your welcome today. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Let's consider again our scripture passage for Mark today. It starts out fairly reasonably. A young man has approached Jesus to ask what he must do to inherit eternal life, and nothing's out of the ordinary here. Jesus refers him back to the Old Testament commandments, do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not lie. And the young man, like many of us, nods affirmingly. Yes, I have followed the law. He is a good man. He lives his life following the Ten Commandments, and these laws make sense. They are laws that we probably try to follow in our own lives. They're the laws we want our neighbors to follow, too. For the most part, we expect each other to keep these rules. It's just part of being nice and neighborly. I trust my neighbors next door not to steal from me. I trust them not to murder, not to lie to me or not to cheat me. So right now, we're right there with this young man. No problem. I've been doing my best to keep these commandments all my life, too. Mark says that Jesus loved the man. And then he said, You lack one thing. Go and sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven then come, follow me." You see, this is a call story. Jesus has called this man to become a disciple, to follow Jesus at all cost. And we know that discipleship means rigorous devotion. Of all the call stories in the Gospel of Mark, this is actually the only one that ends in failure, with the one being called walking away from Jesus. You see, discipleship is costly. It is demanding because it means following Jesus and we have a jealous God who tolerates no rivals. We're in the difficult situation of living in a worldly kingdom where, in the words of Will Willimon, the society has shown the ability to mass produce golden calves and worship them with abandon. Several years ago, in between college and my first job, I rented a storage unit. I moved all my worldly possessions into an 8 by 10 storage unit in South Carolina. And it was surreal to drive past rows and rows and rows of other storage units, big ones and little ones, and I wondered what people kept inside. I kept all the contents of my college dorm room, which was pretty meager, but I imagined the neighboring units having family heirlooms, outdated encyclopedias, an out-of-season boat, or thousands of National Geographic magazines. Have any of you ever watched the TV show Storage Wars? It's kind of addictive. It's a program on A&E that follows teams of bidders looking to score it big in the high stakes world of storage auctions. These bidders purchase the contents of abandoned storage units, for the most part sight unseen, and take a gamble on what is inside. It's all about reaching critical mass and finding those buried treasures underneath the cardboard boxes and junk that people leave behind. It's amazing what some people save. Regardless of whether or not we rent a storage unit, we tend to define ourselves by our possessions. In a 2006 article from the Christian Century, UCC minister Andrew Warner connects our American materialism all the way back to the colonies. In the 1700s, the Americans' colonists revolted against the Stamp Act of the British Empire by boycotting British goods. The first major coordinated protest against British rule in America was to find who Americans were by what they did or did not buy. And to be an American back then was to wear American homespun clothes. Albeit in a different way today, material possessions and consumption continue to be the means by which we define ourselves. Jesus was calling the young man in our story to a new kind of material life. He was not calling him to some Gnostic spiritualism or abandonment of the physical world. Instead, Jesus was calling him to move from the kind of self-absorbed materialism to one that focuses on others' needs, including their material needs. This biblical story is a call story. But before Jesus issues his call, the young man goes to Jesus for healing. It has all the earmarks of a healing story. The rich young man runs up to Jesus and falls to his knees, and just as countless others have done in need of healing before him. The scene is set for him to request his received healing and his request is both urgent and sincere. As we read and we see, however, that he has rejected not only Christ's call, but he's also rejected the healing that he needs. The healing he needs is freedom from his possessions. What he lacks is that he does not lack for anything. And the rich young man turns his back in grief. I grieve too, because I have accumulated a lot. What can I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, in a short response, says, nothing. Jesus says, for mortals, it is impossible. Eugene Peterson's interpretation from the message states it bluntly, no chance at all, if you think you can pull it off by yourself. Every chance in the world, if you let God do it. There's still the problem though, of having too much stuff. It keeps us from realizing our need for God because we do not think we have need for anything. We use our stuff to fill the emptiness inside. We use our stuff to feel less susceptible to the inconsistencies of life. It keeps us from seeing how needy we really are. I see this all the time in my friends, in the families I love, and sometimes even in myself. Why don't we make worship, service, and giving a priority? because we don't think we need to. For many of us, we don't think we need for anything. The rich young man's power and status led him to ask the wrong question. He asked Jesus, what can I do to inherit eternal life? What can I do? To that question, Jesus says, nothing. One of the most difficult passages in the New Testament and one that ministers and congregations have tried to weasel out of for years is Jesus' response to his disciples here in Mark. He says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Do you know that a 9th century theologian actually made up an imaginary gate in Jerusalem to get out of this passage? He, He wrote that there was a gate in Jerusalem that was so narrow and so short that a camel could only fit through it if it threw off all its baggages and crawled on the ground. Unfortunately for us, no such gate existed. It's completely fictional, so we can't get off that easily. This is the only time in Mark that Jesus makes such a demand about possessions. According to Mark 4, wealth and deceptions are not the only things that are capable of choking God's word to us. Being rich is not some unforgivable sin. And Jesus' primary call is to a life of discipleship, not a life of poverty. In Jesus' context... Many people viewed wealth as a special blessing from God. In fact, we see in this passage the disciples are shocked by what Jesus has said, and they respond, if not this man, then who can be saved? Jesus does not try to deprive the rich young man from his money and power. He simply asks for more. He tried to claim the man's very own self— Jesus does not tell the man to simply separate himself from his money and possessions. He does not tell him to cast them aside or burn them in protest. Jesus goes a step further and instructs the man to redistribute his wealth among the poor. Jesus tells the man to change his relationship to the poor, to help them, to identify with them. The man's lack of receptivity is not the problem. His approach and words are not arrogant or self-righteous. He is deeply attuned and religious, and he can sense that there is something more to life and to faith. The real question for this rich young man, and the real question for us as disciples today, is really, what is the world's need? And what does it mean to spend oneself, to give oneself, meeting the world's need? That is indeed what Jesus is doing, isn't it? Jesus is spending himself. He is on the road to Jerusalem to spend himself in love for a world impoverished for the love of God. Over and over again in the gospel, Jesus says the kingdom of God does not look like our earthly kingdom. The kingdom of God does not look like what we expect. Our power and our wealth here are not power and wealth there. Jesus puts eternal life so far out of reach there is nothing we can do to attain it. He says... The first will be last, and the last will be first. Our expectations need to be turned over. Following Jesus looks very much like giving yourself away for the life of the world. One minister describes this text as a roller coaster text. In the beginning, the man seems to have it all together, and then Jesus completely unsettles him with his radical call for what the man lacks. In this scene, the disciples are even taken back on their heels by asking them, who can be saved? Salvation is the gift of God's grace. And there's nothing any human being can do for himself or for someone else. For mortals, it is impossible. For God, nothing is impossible. That is the promise of this passage. What chance do we have? Every chance in the world if we let God do it. Remember that Mark tells us that Jesus loved this man. He loved him too much to leave him where he was. Through the eyes of Jesus, we realize that the rich young man is really a beggar. He's incapable of doing what Jesus has asked him to do. Jesus says that if he is going to have eternal life, he has to change his living. And the man knows he cannot possibly do these things on his own. Friends, it can only be done through the grace of God. The gift of eternal life is given at the expense of Jesus' own life. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus expanding, expending his life for others. Our response for this grace is what we do with the gift we are receiving on behalf of a world in need, giving from the same love that Jesus is giving to us. Amen.